It's Friday, July 5th, 2019, and welcome to this week's edition of the FritzCast. It's been about two weeks, maybe, maybe two weeks. I don't know. I lose track of time. I lost, I lost track of time this time. All right. I'm only human. All right. I'm a human person, man. All these people on Twitter thinking he's just a bot. I'm not a bot. I'm not a bot. I'm not on uh, the Koch brothers' payroll. God, I, I God, God, I wish I was. If I had all that money, God. But, <laughs> but no. Alas, I am not. I am just a regular Joe schmo here today. How's everybody doing? How is everybody's Fourth of July? Hey, you know what? It's not. This, this is a. Normally, I like compile a very big like Fourth of July historically appreciative episode of of Fritzcast because I love and cherish American history, the founding, the founding fathers, of, you know, the, all the little nuances, all the stuff that goes into those things. Uh, appreciating American history and and um, the long battle that we've had to get to where we are today, two hundred forty three, two hundred forty three years later. That's um. I mean, that, we're not going to do that this year, uh, just because of time constraints and so many different things going on, which I'll explain in a minute. Um, but but uh, I was listening to actually last year's episode of Fritzcast for the Fourth of July, which was um, it was titled "Don't Cheapen History," and I actually encourage you if you didn't, if you're a newer listener of Fritzcast, or even if you're an old longtime listener, go back and listen to that episode of Fritzcast because uh. There's some surprising things that'll pop up in that episode that was a year ago that somehow, someway got lost over the following months of that, got lost, wasn't a talking point anymore, and then suddenly became a talking point now. And I think it's a very big reflection. Last year's episode of FritzCast on the 4th of July... I was talking about this is why I boot up, I boot up older episodes of my podcast and I listen to it to to analyze what I've already talked about how can I how can I expand on it did I come across any new information was I wrong about anything And last year 4th of July episode I talked about how the very thing that's being talked about now was a thing they were calling that this baffled me. This this really did baffle me. With how they're calling the camps down at the southern border right now, the detention centers and all that. With how they're calling them concentration camps and comparing them to Germany, Nazi Germany, circa 1930. We were talking about this same thing, word for word, verbatim, last year. Last year we were. I, I shit you not. Go back and find. My episode from 2018, Don't don't Cheapen History. I posted it on July 6th, July 6th, 2018. But I'll play a clip from it right now. Just, just listen to this. I want that back. But people remove themselves from events. I mean, think about this. Everybody calls Donald Trump a Nazi. They call what's going on down by the southern border no different than concentration camps of the Nazis, and they keep using 
this rhetoric to paint Donald Trump, his administration, and his administrators as bad people. And parts of me wonder, is, is that because we're so far removed from World War II, this younger generation's coming up, and the older generation is, is starting to, you know, wither. They're starting to die off. The people that actually lived and experienced those events are slowly disappearing. And have we, has anything really been passed down and have we been taught anything? What's happening at the border? I don't like child separation at the border. I don't. I don't like families being separated at the border. And I don't believe in treating everybody that's just trying to cross the border as the worst criminal ever. All right? I don't believe in that. But the other thing I don't believe in is just calling Trump and his administration Nazis and comparing those children being locked in cages to concentration camps. Why? Well, perhaps you uh, didn't get to see this video of David Tuck, who actually was in a concentration camp and is a Holocaust survivor. And then not not to not not even a year to the date later. They're passing around David Tuck new videos talking about concentration camps and telling people to approach the subject just a, a little bit differently. And uh, we, I mean, we talked about this last week and in, in previous weeks already. Um, I just find it fascinating that we were having this discussion a year ago. With the same rhetoric and the same stuff, and then it seemingly fizzled out and disappeared and was not talked about, really wasn't focal pointed until now. And it's not surprising because it, it's not surprising that it's back up because, oh yeah, it's a 2020 election cycle. Oh yeah, now is the time that the Democrats are getting ready to take on Trump the Democratic way. And we're going to talk more, we're going to talk heavily about those two DNC debates, and, and debates in general. We're going to talk about that in, this, in today's episode as well. But if you want to get me talking about history, United States history, the founding history, I implore you to go back and listen to those past episodes. Just look look around you can go on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. You can actually go back years. You can find those episodes that are around the beginning week of the, the ending weeks of June or the beginning weeks of July for me to talk about that stuff. I'm not going to go on TV about it today because I think you guys are, are well aware that, you know, especially being a libertarianish kind of guy, somebody who isn't affiliated with either of the two major parties and ideologically distance myself from those parties. I mean, I think you guys understand that I have a, a deep love and appreciation for the founding of this country. That isn't to say that it was perfect. It was over 240 years ago, almost 250 years ago. And times were very, very different. Everybody wants to judge history by today's standard of living, by today's standard acceptances. 
And you can't do that because the world was different. It's like taking today's standards and trying to apply it to anywhere in the world in the early 100 ADs or even 500 BC or 1000 BC. You, you, you can't do it human evolution up through now. There, there's been this whole period of human evolution that people just kind of gloss over because they want to say, oh, look, the past was so messed up. You can't revere any of these past figures because they were hypocrites or they engaged in this, they engaged in that. Instead of going like, you know, huh, at that time, while, yes, the world was more or less screwed up, you know, it, it was amazing to see these people stand out from the pack. These people call for this. These people sacrifice this. It cheapens the whole picture when you just poop all over it. It it really does. So everybody knows that I love the founding. I love the founding principles of the country, and it doesn't mean that I agree with everything this country has become and everything this country does. To be a patriot... To be a true patriot, you don't blindly accept your government. That's the most baffling thing that happens today, especially with like the, the, the supreme MAGA wing of Donald Trumpism. The people that want to worship at his feet and talk about, you know, there's nothing more cringe than hearing somebody who say that they're a constitutional conservative or... Or even just a conservative. There's nothing more cringe than hearing one of them say, you know, well, if you just obey the law. I mean, it's the law. Just obey the law. The whole nation was found on rebelling against law that was unjust. That's that, that, was, the whole, that was the whole inception of the nation. I mean, these people who are crying out that, these people who are crying out, you know, just... Mind you, I have a poli- I have policing and law enforcement background and all that. But the people who shout out, just listen to what they say. Just do what they say. I mean, it's a little one-sided considering that, well, if you go back to the 1700s, if they just listened to what the Redcoats said, if they just had listened to what the Redcoats said, nothing bad would have happened. Nothing bad would have happened at all. They're not wholly incomparable. <laughs> the... They're not. They're not wholly incomparable. You should always be skeptical of government and government authority. And you should never, ever be fearful of your government in, in that manner. Government should be fearful of you. And we're going to talk even more about that because there was a clip that came out that, that really, <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears? Rep- Representative Wilson. We're going to play a clip from Representative Wilson in a little bit that I have to just go on a tirade on. And it's it started me on this Twitter campaign that's probably going to get my account suspended and 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 uh, among other things. Maybe, maybe it won't. I have no idea. But we'll talk about that shortly. So that's why there's not some big, typical, bombastic, patriotic episode for me this week. Uh, it, it also just could be because of the tirade of stuff I had to go through Within the last two weeks, I mean, listen, I watched two, not one, two Democratic debates for you, which was a little mind-numbing, okay? I did that for you. I didn't do it for me. I didn't do it for my mental health. I didn't do it 
well, I did do it to educate educate myself, but how much educating myself actually happened, uh, we'll, we'll discuss within. Of course, baby fever's hot and heavy around the Fritzcast household, though, uh, because uh, I, I'm expecting a baby. I don't know if you, I don't know if I told you guys, me and my wife are expecting a baby, but we are. We're expecting a baby. We're very excited about it. Um, I, I even read to my wife's belly. Last night, read one of the little golden books, Guardians of the Galaxy. You might know them from a movie called Guardians of the Galaxy. Turns out there's some discrepancies between the comic book and the movie. Who knew? But uh, we had, uh, over the course of the last two weeks, we've had meetings with uh, pediatricians to try to figure out who's going to be my daughter's doctor. And and I hope that, uh, you know... I hope that you support uh, my Medicare for All bill uh, so that your daughter can have health insurance that isn't crippling to you. Well, actually, Bernie, I th- thank you first, Bernie Sanders, ladies and gentlemen. G- great to be here. Um, I was at the debate. Uh, uh, you probably want me to talk later. You can talk right now. Thank you, sir. And yes, you know what? Um no, I have private insurance through my employer, and uh, I'm good, actually. It's, it's really it's really actually good freaking coverage. It's actually part of the reason why I've kept this job for so long, because uh, it's really good coverage. Uh, I don't think I've paid hardly anything um, for for the appointments that I've had for my child. Well, well, well good for you. Uh, that's That's great. You could have the same thing if you just let me take more taxes out of um, your paycheck. D- Bernie, we'll get back to you, okay? We'll, we'll get back to you. But, no, I had to meet with, uh, you know, a couple of uh, pediatricians and, uh, you know, set that stuff up, which, by the way, is a reality kick. Not not to say that, uh, you know, not to say that my wife's, you know, belly growing and feeling kicks and punches and stuff from my baby. Um Hasn't been an eye-opening experience, but now it's like the real life. Like, oh yeah, we need a doctor for her, and you're gonna have to see her like 24 to 48 hours after she's born. And uh, oh crap, I'm gonna be a father. That's how that worked, by the way. In case anybody was wondering, that's how that that's how that played out in my head. Uh, funny enough, we're actually going with the pediatrician who was my pediatrician because he still practices and he's i mean it was it's so weird but it's awesome and he remembers me entirely my whole family story uh because he did like all of us so that's beside the point did that we had a birthing class yeah a birthing class yeah well really it was uh post birth it was like it was everything that happens from the minute that your that that your wife you know delivers your your well, not delivers. We're doing this. Uh, what? What? We, we <laughs> out of sheer morbid curiosity, we got this hypno babies thing, which is like you know, self affirmation tracks, and about how you can change certain words to trick your brain to not. Fa- it, it's a little weird, okay? But we got it, and we're <laughs> we got it. We kind of poke fun of e- at each other that we're listening to these tracks and actually doing it. Uh, but it's still fun, and uh. So I shouldn't say my wife's delivering a child. A child, a child is a 
delivered, a child is born. That's what this stuff. That's what this stuff does. A child is delivered. Don't call it your due date, because a child is not due. A child is born into the world. And don't say that you're in labor. You're not in labor. You're having. You're not having contractions. You're having birthing waves. Birthing waves, which are warm and delightful. <laughs> I can't even. I, I my wife pokes fun at this too. It wasn't what we expected, but whatever. Um. So uh, basically, I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. <laughs> thinking stupid thoughts in my head. Basically, this class was from, you know, the, the the labor process, the laboring process, and pretty much all the aftercare that you have to do for mom and for baby uh, during that process and immediately following that process. So, for example, I get parental leave from work. I'm going to take off, like, the entire month of September, and for at least the first two weeks... My wife will do nothing but lie in bed, get up and stretch here and there, maybe take some laps around the house, but I'm going to get her breakfast, I'm going to get her lunch, I'm going to get her dinner, and she's going to recover and also feed baby. And the, the doctor that was teaching the class made it quite clear that that is what I am to do. So that is what I'm going to do. So we had those classes. I have a couple more classes coming out throughout this month. So that's just something in the mix that keeps us busy and keeps us on our toes. But I can't believe this. It's July. The kid is due in September. And it feels like just yesterday we were getting affirmation that, that we're having a baby. Life moves just just a little fast for my taste sometimes. It's a little nutty. That uh, that we're literally around the corner from from a, a, a you know life changing entirely. Life life has changed entirely. So I'm not sure how I want to tackle this cavalcade of subjects that I have to talk about. Two Democratic debates, twenty Democratic candidates, a big name politician. Declaring independence from their party. A spokesperson going off about a special edition product that got pulled from the shelves because of their TV. Uh, And uh, I think that's a good, I think those are all good starting points. Uh, (laughs) Those are the subjects that we're we're now going to talk about. Don't you love this show? Don't you love my organization skills? We're going to talk about these in no particular order. I want to start, actually, with Representative Wilson's comments. Let's do that. So this is from Frederica Wilson. I don't know what set up this little news bit, but it was a press conference of sorts, and she was talking, and this comment came out of Representative Wilson's mouth. people who are online making fun of members of Congress are a disgrace. And there's no need for anyone to think 
That is unacceptable. We're going to shut them down and work with whoever it is to shut them down, and they should be prosecuted. You cannot intimidate members of Congress, threaten members of Congress. It is against the law, and it's a shame in this United States of America. Whoa, 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 Wow. Wow. Okay. The latter part of her statement about threatening people. Okay. I concede to that. Yes. Threatening, bad. Threatening, prosecutable. Threatening, no, no, no. You said mock. You said mock. You said people that mock you online should be prosecuted. Mocking you online should be prosecuted. Mocking you. I'm I'm sorry. Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? That mocking you. I will mock the ever-loving crap out of every single elected official in this great United States of America because I can. Everybody can do that. We're allowed to mock you. You can say it's disgraceful. Fine, that's your right to say it's disgraceful. It's my right to say you're an idiot for it. Now, granted, maybe it was just, you know, a poor choice of words and phrasing and all that. Perhaps. But, um... Considering that all these people are running around talking about how Trump is a totalitarian bastard who is controlling all of America with an iron fist, not allowing any ounce of freedom or liberty to persist, I will have to call out comments like that one that says that we're... we're we're not allowed to mock representatives online because it's disgraceful. And we should be prosecuted. <laughs> oh, ever since that day, I've gone on Twitter every day and tweeted out to Representative Wilson. Well, I've tweeted out some big thing. You know, because that, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, Trump is so fascistic. Well, I'm I'm sorry. Is is a representative of the United States of America saying that people who mock other representatives should be prosecuted? Is that not a little fascistic to you? I mean, I was, I was just asking for you know the record. Ever since then, I've gone on Twitter every day and I've put out a pity. Like Wednesday, I I, I sent out a tweet. Good morning. I woke up at two p.m. So it's good morning for me. Drink some coffee today. Dream big dreams. Make fun of or mock a member of Congress. Congress, especially if it's Rep. Wilson. Let her know that government is allowed to threaten the First Amendment. And then on the 4th of July, yesterday, I put out, It's the 4th of July. Celebrate Independence Day. Have a barbecue. Drink some beer. Mock a politician like Rep. Wilson who thinks the government should have enough power to lock you up just for expressing your First Amendment right. And get some fireworks. I haven't done one for today. I can guarantee you I will do one for today. Just because it's fun. It's just fun at this point. Like, you're just giving... Like, why are you giving me such fuel? Because that was... It was a bullcrap statement. I'm not... 
I'm not exaggerating here, am I? That like every other people heard it and went, "Oh yeah, that was kind of bad. That was kind of dumb of her." <laughs> yeah, at least I hope so. I hope I'm also just not being an ass, but I know that I do. Like, yeah, I'm a little angel. I do, but I have little. I do have smidgens of assholery in me. But come on, even Democrats can get behind me on this. If 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 we follow Representative Wilson's comment there that that people online shouldn't mock members of Congress, which I assume branches out to most government officials, then how can you make fun of Trump for this? In June of 1775, the Continental Congress created a unified army out of the revolutionary forces encamped around Boston and New York and named after the great George Washington commander-in-chief. The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our army manned the airports. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. And at Fort McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. And when dawn came, their star-spangled banner waved defiant. There's a couple of things wrong with that statement. There's a few things wrong with that statement. And I'm going to tackle them in order of um, importance. Number one, Fort McHenry was during the War of 1812, which is when the actual Star-Spangled Banner theme, the anthem, the national anthem was penned about Fort McHenry, about a bombardment of the British at Fort McHenry in 1812. It might have not been actually 1812, but it was the War of 1812 that that happened. Um, that was wholly unrelated to the Revolutionary War. Wholly un- unrelated to the Revolutionary War. I get the sentiment, though, but, you know... And, and by the way... The Star-Spangled Banner was originally the poem The Defense of Fort McHenry. Just just in case anybody was aware or unaware. There that now you know. So that's number 1. He's he's crossing different timelines there, all right? And I, that's why I start there cuz he crossed different timelines. Two, Cornwallis wasn't of Yorktown. Um Cornwallis was of the United Kingdom. He was sent over by, you know, King George with the troops. Um, just one of many generals. Uh, I think perhaps um, perhaps Trump just watched The Patriot and got most of it out of The Patriot. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. The Patriot's a great movie. Um, not wholly historically accurate, but it's still a good, like, you have to watch The Patriot around the 4th of July. Just, just because the fighting scenes are, you know, totally inspirational. And a lot of the characters are based on actual people, um, like uh, like Colonel Jean Valenouf is based off of um, Lafayette. Uh, Benjamin Martin's based off of a couple of different characters. Colonel Tavington's based off of uh, one or two actual people. Cornwallis in that movie is actually based off of um, General Cornwallis. Um, 
of, of the United Kingdom. Uh, so, the, I mean, it's a good movie. But uh, Trump's crossing timelines there. Another way that he might be crossing timelines there is um, talking about taking over the airports. Um, you see, back in the 1700s, uh, air travel uh, wasn't really a thing. Uh, th- there was no airports back then. Um, I-, I don't really think I need to expound on that. It was a blunder. I, you know, I know. You can't pick apart his whole speech and just go, Oh, wow, what an idiot. But you have to look at there, and I have to wonder, was it a speechwriter and he just snuck in something about the airports? Just to see if he would say it, you know, <laughs> like maybe he didn't, maybe he doesn't pre-read his his speeches because this was on a teleprompter, mind you. You know, they rammed the ramparts, they took over the airports. I will, I will fondly remember when George Washington, as penned in his journal, was talking about when he decided he was going to take over the airports. You know, that was definitely a key strategic advantage was the airports. Knock them out. What do the British have left? The the freaking sea? That's it. They had boats. They'd have to come over in boats, and that's where the French army came into play because they blockaded the ports around New York and pretty much the British, like, it it became war of attrition. That's what we do in America, by the way. That's how warfare was. Like, it was war of attrition. Just starve them out. Hold them up, starve them out. And eventually they'll say, yeah, you know what? This ain't worth it. Fuck it. We're done. <laughs> so my point is that you want to be able to make fun of politicians. That's my that's my point. You want to be able to make fun of politicians. So tell, if you get the chance, go on Twitter, at Rep Wilson, and just mock her. Just, just, just mock her. Just do it. Just do it. Because you can. And then make fun of Donald Trump for saying that the Continental Army took over the airports. Because it's fun. And you need to do it. And while you're making fun of Donald Trump, he better brace himself because this lady just made the cut for the next round of Democratic debates. I'm sorry we haven't talked more tonight about how we're going to beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and, sir, love will win. Yeah, you're in shit now, buddy. Because Marianne Williamson is going to harness love and meet you on the battlefield and love, sir, is going to win. What do you have to say to that, dickhead? Probably not a lot because you're too busy talking about how the Continental Army won the fucking Revolutionary War by taking over the airports at Fort McHenry in 1812. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was sorry. That was a tirade. Won't happen again. No, but Mary Ann Williamson is advancing in the Democratic debates. And how about it? I mean, there was two Democratic, two Democratic debates, 20 candidates, 10 on each stage. 
There's something, but before I even dive into any of that, there's something I have to say. I actually, I hate, I loathe these beginning debate periods with 10, 10, 20 candidates. Because if you watched either one or both of them, which if you, if you did like I did, if you watched both of them like I did, God bless you. I hate the whole thing. There are a billion candidates. These are in live auditoriums. Because there's so many people, different questions get asked to different ones and not all of them get the chance to respond to the question. And it becomes this it becomes this cluster of a thing. It really does. The debates in and of themselves today are spectacles, and I hate that. I hate that they're spectacles. I hate that they're in front of live studio... Well, it's not even studio audiences. It's arenas. They're in live arenas, televised to the world. It's great that they're televised. It's great that we got that information. It's great that we can see it like that. But this whole live audience thing, I hate it. It gives the opportunity for those candidates to read the audience and pander and get their sound bites in and get reactions from people that they want to get, that they can use during their campaign. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And that's not that's not to fault all the candidates. The fact of the matter is is that these rules are set for, you know, the audience needs to be quiet. The audience needs to remain seated and hold applause till the end, but they never do. They never do. Somebody says some point that they agree with, and you always have that person in the audience, and a bunch of them start clapping and hooting and hollering, and then it becomes somebody talking talking over noise, and you can't even really hear the point that they're making. And it looks great because they're standing up there in front of a, a, an applauding audience, shouting really loudly, talking about something that you want to hear. Hate it. Doesn't accomplish anything. I really don't like that. And that's for Democrats, Republicans, whatever. I hated the Republican debates when there were 16 on it. I think they had 16 candidates up on the main stage and like a kiddie stage of seven, six or seven of them that they felt couldn't cut it in the big league. In this case, with the Democratic debate, they're like, oh, there's so many of you. We're going to randomly, quote unquote, randomly select and stage the candidates in different ways. Well... The first debate had, like, Elizabeth Warren, I think, and Kamala Harris, and, um... No, no, that's not, that's not what happened. I'm mixing up the debates now. That, it's scrambled in my head. I had to go back to the reference guide. So the first debate was uh, Cory Booker... Bill de Blasio, Julian Castro, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobacher, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, and Elizabeth Warren. Now, out of that bunch of candidates that I just named, the only person that you'll really see advance to the main debates is Elizabeth Warren. Um, unless, unless Tulsi Gabbard, post-debate, Tulsi Gabbard had the most lookups. And most people say it's because people are like, who? Who is that? 
But I think it's because instead of wasting her time on softball questions that that didn't matter because you don't get a lot of talking time in this, she took the time to say something that she believed in. Something that, you know, yeah, it gives libertarians massive hard-ons when she talks about foreign intervention. And then other libertarians go, but we can't get behind her because her other policies are trash. Tulsi Gabbard at least sparred with Tim Ryan and used her time wisely rather than just, you know, answering softball stupid questions, which happens in these debates. Like I said, 10 candidates, they randomly pick questions and ask random ones certain questions. You don't get you don't get good use of your time, especially if you get a lame ass question. But uh, you know, out of that bunch Cory Booker, I think he's uh I think I think that's all talk and no game. I don't think he's advancing one bit at least. Bill de Blasio is in a failing New York, so I don't see him advancing. Julian Castro, maybe. People seem to appeal to him, so he might raise up. Nobody knows who John Delaney is. Uh, nobody knows who Jay Inslee is. Amy Klobacher beats up her old staff members, so nobody likes her. Beto O'Rourke died when Ted Cruz beat him in a Senate race. I'm sorry. Tim Ryan is just some guy. He just stands there talking about how, uh, yeah, we went to war because we had to, we had to take on um, the Taliban for doing 9/11, in which Tulsi Gabbard eviscerated him point by point. But which made her stand out? Maybe Tulsi has a chance. I don't know. I'd like to see her advance out of that bunch, uh, because she's one of the few, if only standing up talking about foreign interventions and warfare. Whereas everybody else is kind of like, you know, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about Donald Trump and uh, all this other bad stuff. You also had a stint, uh, a little section of that debate where Beto O'Rourke was trying to impress people, I guess, by speaking in Spanish. Whoop-de-doo. You know, I mean, I'm not saying don't appeal to Spanish-speaking immigrants of this country. I'm not, but... Whoop-dee-doo. Pander, 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 pander. I think Julian Castro spoke a little bit of Spanish, too. I'm not sure. There was a Spanish-speaking segment in there in which I was confused. Because I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and while while I was just bashing John Delaney, I do have to agree with his point. He's, he's kind of mad about the thresholds in the debates. He... He makes a good point. Here it is. Do you think the moderators at the next debate, which is coming up in about three weeks, do you think there's some changes that need to be made? Yeah, and I think it's a simple change. They should pick the five big issues that you and I, Paul, know the American people care about. And they should ask each of us what our views are on those issues for a minute each. Just level set the whole thing. And then they can do whatever they want. But they ought to give all the candidates the opportunity to talk about health care, education, jobs, pay, foreign policy, the things that matter to most Americans. Yeah, you know, because what we got, I, I get it. We're trying to narrow the field down and talk about the big hitting subjects, but if we're not talking about the big hitting subjects and I can't hear it from each and every one of them, even if it is for a minute, which, by the way, those rules are never uh, never respected and obeyed anyway. Another reason I hate these debate spectacles is because there's rules, but the rules are never followed. They're never followed. People talk over each other all the time. They pander to the audience. 
They cut other people off. If I was running, let me tell you, strip down how I would run these things. All right? It would be in a new studio, at a table. Everybody's got their mics on, okay? And then I go, uh, Senator Warren, question. Mic on, Senator Warren. Senator Warren talks, yada, yada, yada. Is that, does that complete your answer? Yes. Click. Nobody else can interrupt until I ask you that question or to challenge it, or you can raise your hand. No audience, no spectacle, boring. That is what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be boring. And actually, there's many news outlets and people who agree with me. The The spectacle of this political thing, this political theater is dumb, and I hope it dies out, but there's little chance of that happening. Uh, I take much pleasure in watching debates of old where the two candidates were sitting down at a table having a discussion or a couple of them were at a table having a discussion versus this this bullcrap spectacle. Um, the candidates in the second debate were uh, Marianne Williamson, who you just heard. She's going to harness love and defeat Donald Trump on the battlefield. Love, it sounds like she has a plan in place, even though she's against other plans and details and stuff. Uh, John Hickenlober, Andrew Yang, Pete Booty Booty Judge, Booty Judge, Booty Judge, Joseph R. Biden Jr., the former vice president of the United States, Bertie Sanders, uh, a pleasure to be here again. Why don't we go back? Why don't I introduce the candidates? And um, I'll tell you one by one how this works. Um... Marianne Williamson, she's batshit crazy. Um, she says she's gonna harness love. She, she, uh, definite, definite VP candidate material for me though, uh, because I think that love is a good thing. Uh, John Hickenlooper, who, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even think President Hickenlooper sounds very good. Uh, Andrew Yang, he could also be a potential candidate. Um. Because his whole thing is a, a universal basic income, which goes right in line with my Medicare for all plan. Uh, Pete Booty Judge, uh, don't like him at all. Um, he's um, he not a not a very good choice, um, and I'm sure you'll explain why he's not a very good choice later. I trust your your instincts, um, uh, Fritz. Uh, jo- Joe Biden, who um, I mean, he was vice president. He's trying to bank off of nostalgia. Um, you know, get him out of here. Um, in the seventies, he was a horrible person and, uh, clearly people can't evolve because I've been the same since day one, 472 years ago. I haven't changed at all. So Joe Biden, uh, I mean, get out of here. You're, you're, you are old school Democrat and this is new school, buddy. Uh, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, she laid the waste Joe Biden, um, I mean, literally, she grabbed a shovel and dug a six-foot hole and Sparta kicked his ass into it. Uh, Kristen Gildebren, she's uh, she's likable. Um, definitely could be VP on my ticket. Uh, then you'd be also, be, we'd be progressing in getting the first female vice president with me and Medicare for All. Uh, Michael Bennett, who nobody really even knows who he is. Uh, I don't even know why. Like, I thought that you had to qualify for these things. 
And then uh, Eric Swalwell. Um, he's great because, like, I, I talked about this, I believe, a couple weeks ago on your program. He's ballsy. And he wants to threaten to new, use nukes to confiscate every firearm in America. And I think that's bold. That Thank you. Thank you, Bernie. I think you missed another candidate. In there. Oh, yes, um... There's also me. You could also vote for me. Uh, Because out of this field of candidates, most of them have just stolen my talking points from when I was taking on Secretary Clinton uh, because they realize that they're popular. So just remember, if you like any of these other candidates for the things that they're talking about, I'm probably, there's a good to fair chance that I am the originator. Of of the talking points. Right. Right. You know, I believe I actually... I believe in yesteryear of 2015 and 2016, I believe I was calling them your panda points. Yes, these are my panda points. No, not panda points. Pander. That's what I said. Panda points. Oh, God. Right. Okay. So, the main stage, yes... Kamala Harris took on Joe Biden for his stances against busing back in the circa 19-whatevers, the 70s or something, 80s, um, and for his uh, apologetic stance towards segregationist senators. Um, She actually, like, out of that debate, Kamala Harris really did wear the boxing gloves, as if to say, you know, Joe Biden's bad. Never mind the fact that I became the police and I prosecuted and put a lot of people in jail. And I did that under policies that we're, we're debating about restricting right now because they were dumb. So, uh, you know, that's what people said. People say Kamala Harris won that one. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. She might have won in sucker punching old Joe. And it's not that hard to hit your grandpa. But whatever. It, out of that debate, I mean, Marianne Williamson, I'm obviously joking. Andrew Yang is has this appeal and this likability about him, um, but he has this unsustainable like idea of universal basic income that people are just in love with um, that I don't see how it works out at all. But Andrew Yang is, is at least a likable guy who will mention reaching out across the aisles and, and, and doing this with teamwork, making the dream work. The only other candidate, Eric's like everybody else is gone. Hickenloper, he ain't gonna be in the uh, finale. Yang ain't really gonna be in the finale. Marianne Williamson can harness all the love in the world, and she's not gonna be in the finale. Uh, Biden still is the front runner, even after that polling, he did take a hit, but he's still the front runner. So you're still gonna have Biden. You're still gonna have Bernie. You'll probably have Harris in that mix. But Swalwell, done. He can't even... Nobody cares about Eric Swalwell. He's a joke. Michael Bennett is... I Like, I don't even know who he is. Who is Michael Bennett? Sir, this is a debate. Please. Take a seat in the audience where you belong. Uh, Jill DeBrand, I have almost no opinion on her. Um, and then... Um, but Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Here's the thing. I am a limited government libertarian. Yes. 
first and foremost. Absolutely. Pete Buttigieg appeals to the moderate. Pete Buttigieg appeals to the Republican. How? Because Pete Buttigieg, out of almost all of these candidates, Pete Buttigieg sits up there and says, no, I'm not talking about Medicare for all. I'm talking about Medicare for those who want it. What? Hold on. Wait. Stop. Pause. This sounds refreshing. What? Pete Buttigieg, to me, in my eyes, stole the show on that because he's willing to stand up and say, Medicare for all and taking away from millions of Americans who have health insurance and like it and don't want it gone, if they want to keep it, well, let's let them keep it. Let's start a Medicare for those who want it and let it compete against the private market. And if it's going to win, it's going to win. And if it's not going to win, then we have to think about something else. Oh, my God, that's refreshing. That's different. That's different from standing up there and pandering to a yelling audience, we're going to take care of you. We're going to pass this Medicare for all, and you won't have to worry about your health care. You won't have nearly as much as your paycheck as you know about it, but you'll feel better about it because we'll be providing the health care for you. Isn't that awesome? No. Pete Booty Judge was at least refreshing and realistic in his approach and talking about how you can't... You, and I talk to libertarians about this all the time, too. All right? Because libertarians think... If we can just get a libertarian president in place, everything will be okay. No. No, that's not how this freaking works. Wake up. Wake up, idiot. That's not how this works. You can't get your candidate into the presidency of the United States, which, mind you, Donald Trump in the hot seat in it, as president of the United States hasn't actually done a lot. And none of them can go in there put on the infinity gauntlet, have all the infinity stones, and just snap away aspects of how this thing works. Or snap in things. That's not how this works. Pete Booty Judge was refreshing to sit up there and say, hey, this is going to have to be a baby step process, number one. And number two, you have to realize that there's millions of Americans out there who don't want to go along with it. Pete Booty Judge was at least fair about it. Because he acknowledged a fact. He acknowledged a fact and he didn't pander to a rabid, dumb, loud audience. But that's not allowed in politics, so, you know, I guess he didn't win the debate. But he at least got points in my book for willingly standing up to that whole Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all, we're going to do it, everybody's going to get it, everybody's going to like it, and I'm going to eliminate private health insurance. Because it looks at those millions of Americans that do have their insurance and do like it and are okay with it but want other people to have other options. It makes us look at you and go, wow, what a dick. So, all of that being said, there's one topic that I did not cover. And we're going to do it briefly as we get ready to bring this big bombastic episode to a close. 
Nike developed a special 4th of July brand shoe that featured the Betsy Ross American flag on it. And Nike's spokesperson, Colin Kaepernick, argued, voiced distaste over it, saying that that flag had connection or had brought up images of an America that had connections to slavery and racism. And Nike promptly recalled every single one of those pairs of shoes back into the warehouse, and this became a huge talking point over the last couple of days. And I tweeted out my my basic take on this, and I'll I'll explain it here. Um, I don't care what Colin Kaepernick has to say. Nike did this to themselves. This is Nike shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly uh, because I'm sure Nike spent a lot of freaking money to make these special edition shoes, hoping to make a, a lot of money. And then their spokesperson, who they hired specifically because of his, of his controversial stances, says, oh, this shoe's bad, this shoe's racist, this shoe recalls times of the Betsy Ross flag, it's been co-opted by, um, by the alt-right anyway, um, and it recalls times of, uh, and has co- connections to a, a racist America. So Nike recalls all those shoes, all that money is out the window to appease their very expensive spokesperson who they did make bank off of initially, but now probably not so much. But I think this this whole connection to, like, the whole argument is just that the flag is regarded as offensive ipso facto due to its use during a period prior to the abolition of slavery in the United States. And again, we've gone through this time and again has America been perfect? No. Has American has America been hypocritical before? Yes, it has. But that doesn't mean that that flag is offensive. It doesn't mean that if somebody has that flag that they're promoting the idea that slavery is acceptable or that they want America to return to that or something. And granted, I understand maybe there are racist groups that have adopted it or conscripted it or co-opted it or whatever. Don't allow those groups of people, which, by the way, are so minuscule in number. I mean, yes, one is too many, yes, Absolutely. One is too many. And they should be denounced. But why would you give them the legitimacy of being able to take a symbol and conscript it and completely take away from its original context and meaning? Not to mention the fact that people getting up in arms over the Betsy Ross thing anyway, there's a lot of legend and mythology behind the inception of the Betsy Ross flag. But it was also at uh, you know Barack Obama's inauguration, which Barack Obama is an African American, the first African American who was elected president of the United States. Yes, I get it. We still have battles to fight. We still aren't perfect. But saying that the Betsy Ross flag is ipso facto racist and supportive of slavery 
is like pointing at the Declaration of Independence, which is this country's mission statement and saying it is ipso facto racist too, and we should burn it and disregard all of it. It's a dumb argument. It's a dumb argument. And here we are arguing over shoes, giving Colin Kaepernick the attention that he so craves instead of moving on. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's edition of the FritzCast. Thank you for listening. Follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the FritzCast. FritzCast uh, podcast at gmail.com if you need to contact me. We're on Twitter at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z-Q-S. And that does it for this week. I will be back next week with another myriad of topics to speak about and rant about and go on about. But just remember... If, if, if there's a couple key takeaways, number one, um, don't let other people take historic stuff and conscript it and violate it. Uh, number two, mock a politician. Definitely mock a politician. Just do it. It's fun. And um, number three, happy birthday, America. I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.